we read from 1 Thessalonians. This morning we're going to be taking a look at chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. But I want to back up just to verse 16 so that we can get a running start from chapter 4. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons. Brothers, you have no need of anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day, and we are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love and for the helmet of salvation, for God has, destined, has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died so that, we, so that whether we are asleep or awake, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are winding down this, this message and then next week, and that'll be the end of 1 Thessalonians. But as we uh, take a look at this passage of Scripture, what I want to do this morning is I want you to think about the most fearless person you know. It may be Whitney, just taking those kids uh, to children's church, but the most fearless person that you know. Uh, maybe on Father's Day you think, you know what, it's, it's my dad. My dad's the most fearless person uh, that you know. Maybe it's somebody that you met, knew growing up. Uh, maybe it's uh, you know, a famous person that you just think, man, that person is absolutely fearless. Let me help narrow it down for you a little bit, okay? Um, it's not me. Okay? So as you're making your list of most fearless person you know, it's, it's not me. But I also think there's a real possibility that when we think about fearlessness, it may also not be the person that you were thinking of just a moment ago. You see, I think that it's far more likely not that a person is fearless, but a lot of times they just have different fears than what you have. They have a different set of fears than what I have. And some people's fears are very visible. They're very public. They show up in places that are obvious and you can see them. And other people's fears well, they either hide them better or they're just in a part of life that, that most people don't get to see. I came across a list of fears this week, and by came across, I mean I Googled, show me a list of fears, and, and this is what came up. Uh, you know, it was a really fascinating, all of these different fears, and as you take a look at, at some of these phobias and you take a look at some of these things, you may not necessarily have one of these, but you can look at it and you can say, yeah, I can see that. I, I can understand where that comes from. So one of the ones that, that would be up there is ophipidiophobia, the fear of snakes. I'm in that club. 
Uh, that, 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 that's, that's all me. Uh, another one here is trypanophobia, the fear of needles. Uh, now, again, I don't really have an issue with needles as long as they are pointing away from me. Like, I don't have any problem with you getting a shot. That, that, that doesn't bother me a, a single bit. But when they come looking at me and I'm the one strapped down and they, you know, that's a different issue. Uh, the next one here is aerophobia, uh, the fear of flying. Uh, some people, some people have that. Uh, the next one, glossophobia, uh, the fear of speaking in public. And I would say it really depends who it is that you're speaking to. Uh, some Sundays you guys are a piece of cake. In uh, other Sundays, uh, there's a little glossophobia that are going on. But but I think most of the time when you see those, you, you can say, "Oh, I understand that." Now, there's another set of fears that when their club meets. They don't need the big room. They, they kind of meet in the smaller room. This is one of them, the genophobia. It's the fear of, of knees. Now, that group always stays standing for their meetings. They, they don't. Uh, the next one is that one. Brian, you know this one so well. Why? The fear of purple. My apologies. I hope you're colorblind. Uh, the, the, the next one, uh, petrophobia. It's the fear of ferns. Maybe you had a bad experience with a fern growing up, uh, but there's a fear of uh, ferns. Uh, the next one there is, all right, Beth, you can say this one. All right, give it to me. There it is, what she said. Uh, it's the fear of long words. Now, I said this morning, I didn't have the fear of long words before I saw that word, but now I do. Now, listen, we can chuckle at, at these, and, it, and it's easy to chuckle about some of these, but understand that every one of these, they did not make up. There are real people in a real world that struggle with different areas of fear, different areas that just create immense amount of anxiety. And the truth is that it is no fun to be afraid. There is no joy in being afraid. Now, I know that some people will go to a theme park and stand in line for the opportunity to be frightened. I think of that Tower of Terror ride at, at Hollywood Studios at, at Disney World where you get in it and then the bottom drops out and then you go back up and then the bottom drops out uh, again. And, and it's kind of a scary thing. But, but you know that that's been tested and it's not really real. If our elevator started to do that, you would never get on that elevator again because there is no fun in being afraid. It locks us up. This morning, I can't wait to tell you the good news. And the good news is that even the end of the world is nothing to fear for the believer. Even the end of the world is nothing to fear for the believer. We're looking at a couple of passages that overlap each other at the end of First Thessalonians this morning. And we kind of spent some time looking last week at the reality of Christ's return. This morning we're going to take a little bit of time thinking about the implications of Christ's return. Last week we took a look at these are the things that God does as it relates to Christ. Christ's return. This morning, we're going to spend a little time thinking about, okay, so what do I do as it relates to Christ's return? Last week, we recognized that Jesus 
in terms of the second coming, that Jesus returns, that Jesus resurrects the dead in Christ, that Jesus raptures those who are still alive, and he reunites us all with Christ. Wonderful, wonderful. But what is it that we're supposed to do? If there is a reality, if there is a realness, and there is, that Jesus Christ is coming back, what are you and I supposed to do with that? And so that's what I want us to unpack in this passage of Scripture this morning that I believe that the Spirit of God has given to us in these words. So let's dive in this morning. The first thing in terms of what we're doing, the first thing that we need to see is that the believer in Christ lives life at the ready. Lives life at the ready. Now you see, the opening of this chapter says now about the times and the seasons. So we kind of lean in and say, okay, we're about to find out what the times and the seasons are of Christ's return. And there's a little bit of frustration here because the first thing he says about the times and the seasons is, you don't need me to tell you anything more about the times and seasons. We're like, yes, you do. We, 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 we need, you haven't told us anything. Tell us some more. We, we really want to know more. And yet the passage says, listen, you already know all of the things that you need to know. Do you feel like you know all the things that you need to know? I feel like there's a lot of questions that are still out there. But as he unpacks this, he gives us several little analogies or statements about his return. The first one he says, well, you know, it's going to happen like a thief in the night. He says it's going to be seasons of peace and security, and it's going to be like the labor pains that are coming for the woman who is pregnant. So you don't need to know anything else. Now, I got to tell you, I still have some questions. I'm still trying to figure these things out. To begin with, this statement of a thief in the night, if you've grown up in church, you have heard this phrase, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. And as I'm getting ready to preach this passage this morning, I'm like, okay, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. I still don't know what that means. Now, I was thinking about it. My house has never been broken into. Now, our driveway, our cars in our driveway used to be picked clean like two or three times a, a year uh, where we used to live. But the house itself was, was fine. So what does it mean for Jesus to come like a thief in the night? Well, I, I was just trying to figure out. I've never been a thief either in the night. And so like, okay, how does a thief in the night function? And, and really in my mind, I'm thinking about sneaky. And, and quiet, and, and maybe with one of those ski masks over, over your face. And, and, and basically, I'm focusing and thinking about the fact that this person is tiptoeing through your house so they will not be noticed. But if you double back to the end of chapter 4, it tells us that when Jesus Christ comes, it'll be with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet. Now, that does not sound like the behavior of a thief breaking into my house in the middle of the night. If you have a trumpet-playing thief in your neighborhood, they're going to get caught. 
They're, 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 you know, if Wilton Marsalis is breaking into your house, somebody is going to catch them because if you're blowing your horn as you're coming. So it is not about sneaking. It is not about silence. And so I struggled with what does it mean to be a thief in the night until finally I came across one resource that just finally pointed out it's that a thief in the night doesn't send you advance warning of when they're coming. The thief is not going to send you one of those fancy, really nice save the dates to put on your refrigerator card. Hey, next 30, Thursday, if it's okay with you, I'm going to be breaking into your house. The thief never does that. They come when you least expense it. They never announce when they're coming. And so while Jesus is not a thief, there is something about his return that is thief in the night like, and that is he is not telling us in advance when he's coming. In fact, this has been consistent throughout his entire ministry. It's consistent through every page of Scripture. Jesus even says when the disciples say to him, okay, Jesus, we got you face to face here. When is the second coming? When are you coming back? When are you going to do all of these prophetic things? He says, no one but the Father knows these things. We do not know when Jesus is coming back. No one knows. And in fact, if someone tells you that they know, don't believe them about the other stuff either. When I was in high school, the best-selling book was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. You can get that cheap right now. <laughs> that, that book's on sale. Uh, you remember a couple, about... Ten years ago, not quite that long, uh, Adam and I were together. There, there was a, a day in May that was supposed to be the end of the world. Here we are. Jesus tells us it is not going to be announced and it is not going to be known. The next thing this passage of Scripture tells us is that people are going to be saying peace and security. Now, this is really interesting because sometimes when we talk about the return of Christ, we talk about, listen, things are going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus is coming back. Well, I want you to know this passage of Scripture says, listen, people are going to say, huh, life ain't so bad. It's okay. Things are good. Things are steady. Things are all right right now. In fact, I think that when Jesus talks about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, he is really saying the same thing. It could happen at any time. Can you think about a segment of your life when there weren't reports of earthquakes? Can you think of a segment of your life when there weren't wars someplace in the world or that they weren't rumors of wars? In fact, every day since Jesus made that proclamation, there have been earthquakes, wars, and rumors of wars. In fact, we've never had a day in which the newspaper prints the front page blank and says, you know what, nothing's going on in the world today. There's always these things. And so Jesus said, listen, it could happen at any time. The pieces that we're waiting for, for Jesus' return to come, they are already in place today and will be in place until he comes back. The Apostle Paul, when he writes, he says, listen, it's going to be peace and security. You're going to be distracted and thinking, hey, everything's fine. Everything is good. It's not going to be today. But it'll come when we least expect it. The last phrase is a little bit more difficult for me to deal with because 
I've never been a pregnant woman. And it talks about Jesus' return is going to come like the labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Now, basically, I just know the sitcoms that I've watched. You know, they're always, they're coming. But there is a reality of these pregnancy labor pains that are coming. And they are significant. And particularly if you deal with Paul's age when there were a lot less detours around those labor pains. If you were pregnant, you knew that you were going to have to deal with these things. Now, you didn't know when. You didn't know at what hour. And particularly in a season toward the end of the pregnancy, you're thinking it could be now. Is this now? Is it now? Could it be any time now? But there is a reality that the person who is pregnant, the woman who is pregnant, was going to face these pains. They didn't know exactly when they were coming, but they were inevitable based on her pregnancy. And so while there's no RSVP and there's no save the date card, and while we're saying around, well, peace and security, it couldn't be today, one of the things that's true about Jesus' return is the inevitability. Jesus is coming back even if we don't know when. It is inevitable. All of the pieces are in place for him to come. So what does that mean for our lives? What that means for our lives is that we learn to live ready. Do you ever watch one of those caper movies? What I mean by caper movies, there's some kind of adventure, and usually they're either breaking into something or breaking out of something, okay? You're thinking, you know, Oceans, you know, 1 through 27, one of those movies or something like that. You're either breaking in or breaking out, and a key part of those movies is they've got to get past the guard, but they have selected the guard that they know is a little sleepy. They, they, they know when this person, when it's his thing, we know that you know between 2.14 and 3.11, they always take a nap. And you're just depending on it. You, you slide past the guard that is inattentive or sleeping. The Word of God here is telling us in terms of Christ's return. We don't necessarily know when, and we don't know what it will look like, and we don't know what the season or the time will be. But the challenge to us is don't be asleep. Don't be inattentive. But be paying attention and have your hearts, your mind, and your spirit turned in that way. Don't presume that thieves don't work on Tuesdays. Don't presume that Jesus isn't going to come back this week. Don't make that presumption, but live ready and attuned and paying attention. The believer in Christ lives life at the ready. But I would also want us to know that the believer in Christ lives life secure. Lives life secure. Now, there are parts of this conversation, there are parts of this teaching there are even parts of some of these analogies that could cause some real anxiety inside of us. I got to tell you that the section here about the labor pains, if I were pregnant, well, that would be newsworthy. But, but, but if I were pregnant, man, that would be in my head really, really hard. I would be anxious living in that way, knowing 
oh, this is wonderful, this is great, it's going to finish in this way, I'm going to get to hold my baby and all that stuff. But, oh, these people keep talking about these labor pains. That, that, that would make me anxious for a really, really long time, which is probably the reason why God didn't make men to, to have babies. But uh, it would make me anxious. Sometimes the teaching about the return of Christ is delivered in such a way is it creates and causes anxiety in our lives. Again, going back to my growing up years, if you grew up inside of church, there was a series of movies we used to watch all the time about the end times and Christ's return. And they were trying to help us to understand these passages of Scripture, but sometimes the pathway in which they helped us to understand that was, first of all, let me scare the daylights out of you, and then maybe I'll try to teach you something. In fact, there were some popular books that came a generation later that kind of had the same thing. They were hugely popular, but it started with, this is going to be scary. And then we'll tell you some of the other things. I want you to know that this book takes the exact opposite approach. This book says Jesus Christ is coming. You're not going to know when. But you are secure and safe and there is no reason for you to have any anxiety about the return of Christ because you are not in darkness and you are a child of the light and you are a child of the day and you are not at risk in any way when Jesus returns. You are safe because you are in Christ. There is not anything for you to worry about because you are not in darkness that's not who you are. You are in Christ. You are a child of the light. You are a child of the day. You're good. You're in good standing. Now, quick question. How different would your life be if you could take all of your greatest fears off the table? Anyone? Anyone interested in that? Just take your greatest fears, and take them off the table. I want you to know that that's what God wants to do inside of our lives. He comes to us and says, even when we talk about the end of the world, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are in Him, then you don't have to worry about that. And He starts with the biggest thing, and He works His way down. We talked last week that even death does not stand in the way of what God wants to do inside of us and for us and through us. It is the nature and the character of God that what He wants to do for the believer is He wants to remove our greatest worries, anxieties, fears, and concerns off the table as we trust Him with it. Even the end of the world, Christ's return, we are not at risk. Any of you ever have the multi-sensory experience of passing a state trooper on the side of the road in the bushes. I mean, by multi-sensory, I mean, a lot of times we'll say something, 
we, we will break into a cold sweat. You, you've never known your, your body temperatures and, and reactions to change that fast. If you want to see something happen fast, the synapses between when you see that trooper to when you tap that brake and then you look around and you see as they're coming. I mean, it is, it is multi-sensory experience. You all know where some of those places are. Uh, I would say I-12 here when you're going into St. Tammany Parish. There's a little break there. I'm just telling you, pay attention. It's a moment, isn't it? Maybe this doesn't happen to anybody else. It's, it's a moment. But there have been two, maybe three times when I passed a state trooper and I was driving the speed limit. And you have that same multi-sensory, oh, oh, no, wait, wait, oh, wait a minute. I'm good. I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to worry about. I'm a-okay when it comes to the return of Christ. Jesus wants you to know that if you are in Christ and the idea of his return becomes a multi-sensory experience like, oh, no, he wants you, no, you're good. You're safe. You're taken care of because you are in me. And this thing that's a great worry and a great concern becomes a great blessing and a great piece of confidence for our life. Now, the believer in Christ lives a secure life, but also the believer in Christ lives life on purpose. Lives life on purpose. Now, there's a couple of things that are happening here. Is that if you are in Christ, you are safe and secure. But in this passage of scripture, there are all of these image statements, all of these statements that we're supposed to feel something about. It talks about awake and asleep. It talks about light and darkness. It talks about sober and drunk. It talks about day and it talks about night. And even as I was trying to study this and trying to unpack this, I'm trying to line it up. I'm trying to create a a chart and trying to understand the difference in all of these words and trying to pinpoint all of these things when really I think we're supposed to step back and not look at the exact detail of every one of these words, but what we're supposed to notice in this passage of Scripture is that there's two ways to approach life. There's two ways to live life, asleep or awake, darkness or in light, Nighttime or daytime, drunk or sober and in self-control. And what it says here in verse 8, going back to verse 7, it says, For those who sleep asleep at night, those who get drunk are drunk at night. But verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us live sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love and for the helmet of the helmet of hope of salvation. We said moments ago that you are secure because you are in Christ. And that is true, 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 true. But don't miss what it also says here in verse 8. Because you are in Christ, live differently. Because you are in Christ, your life should look, smell, taste, feel different than if you were not in Christ. Now, what exactly does that look like? Well, what it says is that 
The presence of Christ in your life should be rearranging who you are. Now, this includes that some of us, some of you, grew up in good houses. You're moral people. You were taught to be polite. You were taught to work hard. You, you were taught to do many of the right things. That's great. But that's not Christianity. That's just being raised right. There is something here in this passage of Scripture that says that because Christ lives inside of you, that you are different even than a moral and right person. Because the presence of Christ is in you and you live in the light, not in the darkness. Now there's a reality here that as long as we live in this world, we're all a little bit of a combination of a little bit of light and a little bit of dark. Isn't, isn't that true? The last seven days of your life, there are probably some places that was light in your life. There's probably some places that there was some dark in your life. In fact, we have a word for that that we call in the natural realm, this mixture between light and darkness. We call it dusk and dawn. And in dusk and dawn, it's just this combination of light and dark. And in fact, sometimes you can't even really tell, is it light or is it dark? It's really hard to tell these things. But there is a difference between dusk and dawn. And that is at dusk, even though it's a combination of light and darkness. Dusk is getting darker by the moment. And dawn, even though it is a combination of light and darkness, dawn is getting lighter by the moment. It's the direction that our lives are headed. It's the direction that our lives are trending. It's the direction that our lives lean in. And this passage of Scripture says, because you are in Christ, because you are children of the light, because you are children of the day, lean in to Him and be different. Now, how does that look? Well, it looks differently for all of us. But what I want you to hear in this passage is I want you to hear that what it means is to live with our spiritual life up front. With our spiritual life closer to the surface. With our spiritual life more at the center of who we are. Paul talks about this in the passage. He says that, that you would live with the breastplate of faith and of love, and the helmet of the hope of your salvation. It says bring your spiritual life out, your faith, your love, your hope, your salvation. Move that out to the surface so that's the point that you interact with the world. Be changed and live on purpose. So what does this mean for us? Well, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live alertly. Man, I loved Hogan's Heroes growing up. You remember Colonel Schultz? Man, that guy, you know, that guy was clueless. He saw nothing. He knew nothing. He heard nothing. Colonel Clink wasn't any better. He, um, he was so vain and so proud. He, 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 didn't, 
he was just deceived all the time. And that they are the image of bumbling and inattentiveness. Man, believer in Christ. Man, that's not who we want to be. We want to be increasing in our alertness all of the time. I would tell you that we want to be leaning our lives toward the light and so that our lives would be more dawn than it is dusk. We're still going to be a combination of some light and some darkness till we get all the way home. But in this week, would you lean into the light and would you lean away from the night and lean into awakeness and alertness and to the things of God. And now I do need to emphasize, because this has really been the emphasis that Paul has placed in this letter, is that he has been writing this letter to believers. And in fact, he says, you all don't have to worry about this because all of you are children of God. He is writing this to a group of people that have stated that they are believers in Christ. But it's possible that you're here this morning and you're not a believer. All of the things that we've talked about this morning, the security, all of those things belong to the believer. It is possible this morning that you are not a believer. And my response to that is, why not? Why are you not a believer? What is the obstacle? What is the barrier? What is it that you're holding on to that is keeping you from believing in the Jesus who is the master, the savior, the healer of our souls? What is standing in the way from belief? And I guess my challenge to you this morning is do you really have a strong enough reason for your unbelief? It tells us that when Jesus is coming back, he's coming back as a judge. And you're going to have to present to him the reason for your unbelief. These are the things that I knew, but these are the things that I said no to. There isn't really a good reason for unbelief. Jesus pursues you. Jesus sees all of your brokenness and loves you anyway. Jesus is the remedy to every broken part of your life. Jesus loves you more than anyone has ever loved you. Jesus' desire for your future, for your present, and for your past is perfect and wonderful. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what's been this barrier. I don't know the last time that you reevaluated your faith position. Man, it could be that years ago you came to a conclusion and said, I'm not going to believe. I'll go to church, but I'm not going to believe. Have you revisited that question lately? Maybe it's something that you're wrestling with right now. I don't know. 
But if you're not a believer today, why not? And is your reason a good enough reason to walk away from all that Jesus has done for you? Let me pray for you.